This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed. Thanks for joining me this Wednesday for another hour of old-time radio crime. First story this week comes from Dragnet. We'll hear their episode from June 22nd, 1950, titled The Big Mink. After that, it's This Is Your FBI, The Meticulous Mobster, their story from October 7th, 1949. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to homicide detail. The owner of a fur store has been shot and killed. Your only lead, a missing fur coat. The killer is at large. Your job, get him. If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke extra mild Fatima. Yes, Fatima is the king-size cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make it extra mild. To give Fatima a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. That's why Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. Enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. Best of all, long cigarettes. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Saturday, November 23rd. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Ben Romero. Boss is Blaine Steed, captain of homicide. My name's Friday. It was 6.35 p.m. and we got to the corner of Western and Lexington. The Western Fur Shop. Hi, Brennan. Hi. What happened, Frank? The owner's been shot. His name's Albert Carver. Yeah. Who is that? Mrs. Carver. Haven't been able to get anything out of her. Where's the body? In the back. Munkers is back there. Did you call the lab? Yeah. Jones on his way. Photographer and fingerprint men with him. All right, let's take a look. Nothing seems to be messed up. Back room is. It was a small shop. A couple of fur coats on dummies on one side of the store, and on the other, a tall glass case holding about 15 more. Mrs. Kreiber sat on a straight back chair staring at the floor. We went through the curtains into the back room of the store. Sprawled out on the floor at the far end of the room was the body of a man. He had a fur coat gripped in one hand. Sergeant Munkreese from Hollywood Division was standing by. What do you figure, Mo? Looks like a couple of hours. Did you call the coroner? Yeah. How long have you been here, Monk? Just a couple of minutes. You think Mrs. Kreiber moved anything here? I don't think so. She was sitting in that chair when we got here. I don't think she's moved except to call in. Did she put in the call? Yeah. Empty shells here on the floor. You got a pencil? Uh, yeah. Yeah, 32. 
Yeah. You think robbery? I don't know. Let's talk to the wife. Wait a minute. Bottle here. Sierra Valley Wine Company. World's finest muscatel. 27 cents a pint. Nobody touched this today. No, I've been here, no. Okay. Let's get out front. Anything in the customer files, Brennan? Not so far. Have you tried to talk to Miss Kreiber again? No, pretty bad. Let's give it a try. Miss Kreiber? I'm Sergeant Friday. This is Sergeant Romero. We'd like to talk to you if we could. We know how you must feel, but there are a few questions that we have to ask you. Did you telephone the police? We have to know how it happened, Miss Kreiber. Miss Kreiber? Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what happened? Uh, who, who is it? What do you want? We're police officers. Oh, Albert. Albert's dead. Albert! Albert! Someone call the police? Miss Kreiber, we are the police. My husband's been murdered. He's dead. <laughs> we better leave her. Friday, hmm? here's something I found in the customer file. Miss mm -hmm. Terry Shepard, 10113 Normandy, apartment 3. What about it? She took a coat out that was in storage. Took it out today. Well, we'll check her out when we're finished here. Thanks. Looks like the only hot receipt in the file. Mm -hmm. Hi, Lee. Joe, yeah. In the back room. What is it? Killing. Monkeys will show you. Okay. Let's look. Think we ought to try the wife again? I can try. Miss <laughs> Kreiber, can we do anything for you? better. I... I'll try to tell you what I can. All right. When did you get here? It must have been about six o'clock, a few minutes after. I came to take him home. Any customers around? No, the store was empty. I stood here for a few minutes waiting, and then I went in the back and... <laughs> yes, I... Is the front door open? No. Yes. The front door? Yes, ma'am. The front. Yes, open. Did you telephone the police? I I think I did. Did you come here to pick him up? No. No, usually he drives home himself. I came down on the streetcar to ride home with him. What kind of a car do you have? An Oldsmobile. 1939 or 40, I guess it is. Huh? Where does he usually park? In the rear of the store, this little place. But... I'll take a look. All right. Where is your home? 3412 Northwestern. I thought there was something wrong when I, I got a telegram from him. He said not to come down tonight. He said he'd be home late. What time was that? About 4 o'clock. 
Oh, I, I'm all mixed up. I, I haven't told it to you as I remember it. First, yes, if first I telephoned here to the shop. That was this afternoon? Yes, 3.30. I'm sure of that because I, I made some other calls. I spoke to Albert. He didn't say he was going to be late. Then at 4 o'clock, I received the telegram. Do you have that with you? Yes, it's in my purse somewhere. 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 Oh, here it is. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Don't come down. I won't be home until late. I have to see a customer, Albert. Can I keep this? We'll return it to you. Yes. What'd you do after you got this wire, Miss Primer? Well, well, nothing. I, I thought it was strange, but I didn't think too much about it. Then I, I started wondering why he didn't say anything over the telephone about being late. So well, I came down here on the streetcar. Did you phone the store just before you left your house? Yes, but there was no answer. Mm-hmm. Parking lot's empty. Better get out an APB on the car, huh? Miss Griber, you said your car was a 1939 or 40 Oldsmobile, didn't you? 1940, I remember now. What model is that? Oh, sedan, light blue. Do you remember the license number? Well, I have it on this chain with the extra keys. Here it is, on this little tag. The veterans make these. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Joe, can I see you, ma'am? Sure. Excuse me, Miss Kramer. Do, do you want me to wait? I, I'd like to go home. We'd like you to wait for a little while, yes. Do you have any relatives living here? A niece and a nephew in Beverly Hills. Jerome Reed. They live on Cannon Drive. All right, we'll call them for you. Thank you. Lee, is this phone out here all right to handle? Yeah, it's been dusted. Okay. Joe, you coming in? Yeah, right away. Pretty clear, easy to trace. Mm -hmm. I'd say he was standing over here by the curtains when he was shot. That's where the stains begin. Mm -hmm. And he must have stumbled along this glass case. You can see the smears here in the glass where he tried to grab hold of something. Yeah. And I guess he caught hold of that fur coat and pulled it down with it. Mm Mm-hmm. And he stumbled and bumped up against this coat bag, fell through that and up against the safe. How many times was he hit? Six empty casings on the floor. Looks like four through-and-through wounds. Thirty-two, huh? That's right. The wife know if anything's missing? Yeah, she's in pretty bad shape. It looks to me like somebody took his wristwatch and a ring from his left hand. If he had a billfold, that's gone. No coat. All the trouser pockets are turned inside out. And what about that wine bottle? It's smeared. Can't lift a thing. Okay, thanks. Ben? Still on the phone. Okay. No, no, no. License 15, Boston. 6707. No, 707. Yeah. Driver might be on. Hang on a minute, Wallace. What? Now, give that DMV, will you? Save another call. Miss Kreiber, did your husband have a wallet? Yes. Yes, brown alligator. Did he keep his identification in it? Yes. Did he carry much cash? No, just a few dollars. He was always afraid of holdups. Thank you. You want to give that to him, Ben? Yeah, okay. Hey, Wallace, suspect might have a brown alligator wallet with identification cards of Albert Kreiber. Yeah, that's C-R-I-B, Boston, B, Boston, New York. 3412 Northwestern Avenue. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, bye. Joe? Hmm. Might still be here. Yeah, Monk? Invoice from a far north fur company. Three mink coats delivered here today. 
I looked all around. I only found two, one missing. Did you find a sales slip for the other one? No. Miss Kreiber, would you come over here, please? Yes. Where are they, Mom? Over here. All right. Over this way. These are mink coats here, aren't they? Yes. It's wild mink. Albert told me he ordered them. Yes, ma'am. We found the invoice. He ordered three. There are only two here. Do you know anything about any of his customers? No. No, I don't. I never met any of them. Oh, I remember now. Just the night before last, he called someone from home, told her he'd have some minks in today, and she could come in and look them over. Do you know who that was? I, I didn't hear any name. Miss Kreiber, do you have any idea who might have wanted to shoot your husband? No, none at all. He was friendly with everyone. Everybody liked Albert. He didn't run around. He, he was either working or at home. Did he drink? Not at all. No, I mean beer, a little wine, no, maybe? No, no, He never touched anything. All right, thank you. Brennan, will you see that Miss Kreiber gets to her nephews? Right away. Thank you. Might as well go, Ben. Yeah. We can talk to some of the neighbors. Six shots fired. Wonder why nobody heard him. Pretty heavy traffic outside, huh? Somebody wanted a mink coat pretty bad. A coat like that costs quite a bit, doesn't it? This one's going to come a little high. Yeah. Seven oh five p.m. Most of the stores along the street were closed, but a small shoe repair shop across the street was open, so we went over there. On the window was one word, Pete's, and a picture of a shoe. Sitting in the window was a small, dark man wearing a leather apron. He was working on a pair of shoes. Hello. We're police officers. I see you drive up across the street. Are you Pete? Sure. Uh, what happens to Mr. Kreiber? He's robbed? No, he was killed. No. Shut. I do not hear anything. Have you been sitting in your window all afternoon? Oh, most all the time. You see, I have machinery here. I advertise that way. People watch me. Mm-hmm. Do you remember seeing anybody going into Mr. Kreiber's this afternoon? This afternoon, the four men. Uh, two, three, long black cars. Uh-huh. Anybody else? Uh, some. Were they women? Officer, they are all women. I see. Did any of them walk out with a new fur coat? Uh, they're all that. I do not see all of them, I guess, but I see two. Can you describe them? Uh, one beautiful young girl, tall, red hair. She walked out with a big package. What time was that? Three, four o'clock. Uh, the second woman is about the same time. Funny thing. I do not see the bottle, but Benny from liquor store and corner tell me the second one, the blonde. She buys bottle of wine. Did he tell you what kind? No. Reason I remember, I laugh when he tells me. I go over to Benny's for a can of beer. Uh, he tells me she buys cheap wine, walks out of Kreiber's with new fur coat. <laughs> Me, I spend $5 for good wine, and my wife has no fur coat. How old was this blonde? How was she dressed? Uh, she's maybe 25. Young, you know, not too young, but young. She has on slacks, uh, gray. Mm -hmm. What kind of a fur coat was she wearing when she came out? Mink. Look from here like mink. I see. Did you notice where she went? Mm. 
The blonde, the gray slacks, mean coat. Yes, it turned the corner onto Lexington and she went up the street. Did you see Mr. Kreiber's car drive away? No, he parked in back. I don't see him come in. I don't see him come out. All right. Thanks a lot, Pete. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, officer, uh, that blonde, something wrong there. How do you mean? Well, she has got fur coat, but she drinks wrong wine. I don't understand. Why do you say that? $5,000 coat, 27-cent wine. 7.45 p.m. Ben and I questioned Benny Davis at the safety liquor store. He remembered the blonde and said she bought a bottle of Sierra Valley Muscatel from him between 2.30 and 3 o'clock that afternoon. He'd never seen her before. We contacted communications and gave a description of the blonde to supplement the all-points bulletin. Then we started checking Western Union offices to find out where Mrs. Kriber's telegram had been sent from. We finally traced it to the office at Normandy and Hollywood Boulevard. The operator who sent the telegram to Mrs. Kriber also remembered receiving the call. She told us that the person who phoned in the message was a woman. The time, 3.22 p.m. We asked her to put a tracer on it and told her we'd check back. 8.24 p.m. Ben and I went to 10113 Normandy to talk to Miss Terry Shepard, whose name had appeared in the customer files at the first store. The receipt showed she'd taken a coat out of storage that afternoon. This is something like the place the wife and I used to live in. Yeah? Same people must have built it. Apartment three. Miss Terry Shepard. All right, come in. The door's open. Find yourself a seat, Fred. I'll be with you in a minute. Police officers, Miss Shepard. Oh? What's wrong? We'd like to talk to you. What about? What if you could come out here, please? Well, I just got out of the shower. You'll have to wait a minute. Yeah? Yeah, this place has got the same floor plan as mine. Yeah. Kind of small, isn't it? Mm, not too bad. I wonder what rent she pays. Uh, you don't mind if I wait a two of you? My hair's wet. It's all right. We're sorry to bother you. What can I do for you? Have you got a fur coat, Miss Shepard? Yeah, sure. What if we could see it, please? <laughs> sure, but I don't think it'll trouble you. It's only muskrat. I bought it in Pittsburgh. Where is it, in Florida? Yeah. Okay. It's uh, down the hallway, first door on the right. I think I know where it is. What's this all about, Lieutenant? What time were you at the Western Fur Shop today? Oh, I'd say three o'clock. Why? What'd you do while you were down there? I got my coat out of Hawk. I had it there during the warm weather. Paid the man, signed something, and uh, he put the coat in the box, and I took it. Mm-hmm. Do you know Mr. Kreiber down there, the man that owns the store? You got me. The man was about... 50. His hair was a little gray. I hardly even looked at him. This is the only fur coat, Joe. Mm-hmm. Could have passed for mink when I first bought it. It's pretty sad now, isn't it? Not mink. I'll give that closet a last check. All right. What happened? Did somebody steal a coat? Was anybody else in the store while you were there? Uh, yeah. Yeah, there was another girl there. What was she doing? Nothing, just sitting. Do you remember how she was dressed? Oh, uh, she was wearing a gray suit, slacks, blonde. Her face wasn't much, but she had a neat little figure. Do you remember anything else about her? Well, I didn't pay that much attention. Anything else in there, Ben? Not a thing, Joe. Maybe I'd better take this towel off my head. It doesn't look so hot when it's wet, but it's natural. It's natural red. Yeah. Is there anything else that you might be able to tell us? Mm, I think that's about all. I gave the man my claim check and the money, and he got the coat and put it in a box and gave me a receipt. Mm-hmm. Nothing else? No. Nope. Well, when I got the receipt, I saw the blonde walk over and pick up the telephone. I was just leaving then. Did you hear any of the conversation? She asked for Western Union. 
listening to Dragnet, the case history of a police investigation presented in the public interest by Fatima Cigarettes. If you smoke a long cigarette, it will be in your interest to listen to a typical case history of a Fatima smoker. It's the case of Edith Gwynn, well-known Los Angeles columnist. This is her actual signed statement. It's my job to keep up with what's going on around town. And here's one thing I've noticed lately. More and more people smoking Fatima. You certainly can tell why once you smoke them. I found them milder than any other king-size cigarette. And that's important to me. Yes, I agree. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. And so do more and more smokers every day. Actual figures show extra mild Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. So enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. The king-size cigarette, which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos, superbly blended to make it extra mild. You will prefer Fatima's much different, much better flavor. You will agree. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. The best of all long cigarettes. Sunday, November 24th, 9 a.m. Ben and I contacted the owners of all the shops in the vicinity, but none of them saw or heard anything at the time of the shooting. Officers Brennan and Monkreys interviewed all the regular customers of Albert Kreiber's fur shop. Only three had been in the store on Saturday, but none of them had noticed anything wrong. 11.35 a.m. We spoke to Mrs. Kreiber again, but she could add nothing to her story. Her niece and nephew had been to a football game at the Coliseum in the afternoon and knew nothing had happened until they were telephoned by Officer Brennan. 2.55 p.m. We spoke to all the tenants of the apartment house at 5513 Lexington, which is in the rear of the fur shop. None of them had been home, but the owner told us that he had some men working on the roof of the apartment house at the time of the murder. Through the owner of the Durable Roof Company, we traced the two men who had been working on the roof, and they told us that about 4 o'clock they had seen a blonde dressed in gray slacks enter the parking space in the rear of Kriber's fur store. They whistled at her, but she paid no attention to them. She got into an Oldsmobile and drove east on Lexington. 7 p.m. We checked in at the office and got word that Albert Kreiber's car had been located in a parking lot at Vermont and 8th. We drove down to the location and talked to the parking lot attendant. Well, the car must have come in sometime last night. It probably came in the back way because I don't remember it coming in and it doesn't have our lot tag on it. Did you work all last night? No, I finished at midnight and started at 10 this morning. I kept waiting for somebody to claim this thing and... Well, and after supper, I figured it might be stolen, so I phoned the police. It's been sitting here all that time. Are there any keys in it? No, sir. There weren't last night, either. Have you ever seen this particular car before? No, sir. Have you ever seen a blonde woman about 25 wearing gray slacks? You mean hanging around here? Yeah, or in the neighborhood. Yeah, but not today or yesterday. Do you remember one? Well, yes, sir. Does she drink a lot? Maybe. Well, there's one that hangs out in these bars around here. Once in a while, she comes in the lot. But not lately. When did you see her last? Oh, a couple of weeks ago. Was she with anyone? Yeah, but I don't remember him. (laughs) I've seen her with a lot of different guys. Does she hang around with anybody in particular? Yeah, her husband. Before leaving the parking lot, we pulled the rotor out of the distributor so that nobody could drive the car away. 8.12 p.m. We called Homicide and asked for more men to canvas the bars in the neighborhood. Ben and I staked out on the car. We sat in our car across the street from the parking lot until midnight. Nobody showed up to claim the car. The streets were almost empty. Our only chance was that the blonde lived in the neighborhood or was in a bar and would sooner or later try to claim the car. 1.53 a.m. 
What rent do you suppose that shepherd girl pays? You got me. Seventy-five? I don't know. I bet I pay more than she does. Is that Monkreys? Yeah. Hi, Monk. Hi. Let's take a look up the street. See that couple? Where? Coming this way. Blonde, gray slacks, fur coat. She's pretty drunk. Where'd you spot her? Turn the corner from Olympic. They've been looking in parking lots. Monk, there's a rear entrance to this lot off the alley. Do you want to cover that? Yeah. Thank you. You see them all right? That's it. Where'd they walk under that light? Yeah. Pretty drunk. Looks like the same kind of coat, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stopping. Looking for another parking lot, I guess. Sierra Valley Wine. World's finest muscatel. And going into the parking lot. She's not carrying a purse. Those coats don't have pockets big enough for a 32 automatic. That stuff sure gets people. All right, let's go. We're getting in Kriber's car. Look, we can't even find the door. She's helping us. You take the other side of the car, will you? Yeah. Stop pushing me. Who are you? Police officers. Can I see your driver's license, please? I ain't got a driver's license. What's going on? What's your name? Betty Moore. What's it to you? The registration slip on the steering column says Albert Kriber. What's the matter with this car, anyway? Who's uh, Albert Kriber? Oh, I know who he is. Uh, this guy here. Who's this man? Huh? What do you say? He's a friend. That satisfy you? Yeah, I'm a friend. What's the matter with this thing? Take a look in the glove compartment, Ben. Okay. Come on, honey. Let's get going, huh? Yeah. It's locked. What do you want in there for? Let me have those keys. Hey. Here you are, Ben. I'm There's nothing in there. Let's go. Here's a purse. Give me that. You keep your hands in the wheel. It's a gun, 32. It's his. It's empty anyway. There's nothing wrong in that. You have a permit to carry it? Yeah, I got a permit. Can I see it? I lost it. Give me those keys. You keep your hands on that wheel. Here's a wallet. Identification cards, Albert Kreiber. Where'd you get these? I don't know. Man's watch, Albert Kreiber engraved on the back. Who's Albert Kreiber? I don't know, I told you. All right, let's get out of the car. Hey, let me push it. Why didn't that car start? All right, come on, stand up. You get over there. Where'd you get the fur coat? I bought it. Where? I don't know. Joe, look at her slacks. Wine stains. I spilled wine on them. What kind of wine? Muscatel. Muscatel isn't a red wine, it's a white wine. Who's Albert Kreiber? I don't know. This is his wallet, this is his car. Where'd you get him? I don't know. I don't know. Is this the gun you shot him with? Is this the gun you shot him with? <laughs> I was going out with him. He said he'd give me a fur coat. He promised me a watch and he never gave me one. <laughs> and then we sent a telegram to his wife and everything. <laughs> Give me a fur coat and take me out. <laughs> he backed out of me. So you shot him? Sure I did. He promised me the coat. He said I could have any coat in the shop. <laughs> he promised me. What are you crying for? You got the coat. <laughs> The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent.
On February 27th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 86, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. It's amazing how many long cigarette smokers are changing to extra mild Fatima. Here is the actual report. From coast to coast, extra mild Fatima has more than doubled its smokers. Yes, more and more smokers every day are discovering that Fatima is the king-size cigarette that is extra mild. Extra mild because it contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make it extra mild, to give it a much different, much better flavor and aroma. Enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. Best of all long cigarettes. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Betty Moore was tried and convicted of second-degree murder and received sentence as prescribed by law. She is now serving her term in the state penitentiary at Tehachapi. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. Next, here's Sarah Berner in Sarah's Private Caper on NBC. The Equitable Life Assurance Society presents This is Your FBI. This is your FBI, the official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Presented as a public service by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community. a representative of our sponsor, the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. On my block lives a widow with 17-year-old twins, boy and girl, just starting their freshman year at the university. People often wonder how she can afford to keep two children in college. Answer is, she can't. Those kids are going to college on an equitable education fund. And that fund was created by the first policy I wrote when I became a representative of the Equitable Society 16 years ago. In approximately 14 minutes, I'll be back to give the whole story of an Equitable Education Fund, an important contribution to American education made by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Tonight's FBI file, The Meticulous Mobster. The Federal Bureau of Investigation cooperates in presenting this program because it feels that the public should know the facts about crime. It does not present those facts, somber as they are, in an effort to frighten you, but merely to acquaint you with the true picture of things as they are. From statistics already compiled, it seems certain that there will be more than a million and a half major crimes committed in this country this year. 
an average of better than 5,000 a day. There are some to whom that fact will mean nothing, for they labor under the misconception that crime is far from their daily lives. That is simply not true, for whoever you are and wherever you are, you are a victim of every crime that takes place anywhere in the nation. A crime wave such as this country is currently witnessing ultimately touches everyone and makes him share the financial cost of that wave. Nor is that cost small enough to be dismissed, for the crime bill literally runs into the hundreds of millions of dollars each year, a sum so great that it now more than doubles the amount of money spent everywhere in the 48 states on education. Tonight's file opens on the shore of a large lake located in the Midwestern state. It is late afternoon. Leaves have almost obliterated the gravel walk that runs beside a row of deserted summer cabins. All deserted, that is, except one. And in that one, a man sits, slowly shuffling a dog-eared deck of cards as the front door opens. Who's that? It's I. John? Yeah. Oh, where's Pete? He stayed in town. How's Mr. Parks? Oh, he's okay. Where is he? In his room, sleeping. I don't know how he puts up with it here. What? What do you mean? This place hasn't been cleaned since he came here. Well, what is he, a guest? Is this a hotel? We kidnapped the guy, remember? We're holding him here for dough. That still doesn't excuse the appearance of the place. Where's the sink? Oh, right over there. Wet swimming trunks on that chair, those clothes piled up in a corner, a stale sandwich on the table. It was that way when we came. Oh, what's the use? Well, look, I'd rather be living like this than washing my hands every five, five, five minutes like you. Germs are good for you once in a while. Well, you certainly should be an authority on that. Ah, oh, look, did you come all the way out here to pick on me? Hardly. I came to arrange for Mr. Parks to leave here tonight. Well, how come? Pete has collected the ransom money. Mr. Parks goes back home. Early the next morning at an FBI field office, Special Agent Jim Taylor is seated at his desk when Agent Paul Madison approaches. Hi, Jim. Oh, hello, Paul. How is the vacation? Fine. Busy? Yeah. I'm what? Well, I guess you could call it a jigsaw puzzle. Huh? See these papers? Yeah. Well, each one is a different clue. What's the case? A man named Eugene Parks was kidnapped just a week ago, picked up outside of his home. His family notified us as soon as they received the first note. Mm, is he a wealthy man, Jim? Yes. Family put ads in the papers, negotiated. Finally, yesterday morning, the ransom money was picked up by the kidnappers. Has Parks been released? Yes, he came home late last night. I, I just left him for him. He's still extremely tired and nervous. What was his story, Jim? Two men accosted him outside his home. They bundled him into a car. He was blindfolded and driven for what he felt was over about five or six hours before he arrived at their hideout. They might have just driven him around in circles. Yeah, that's true. Well, once at the hideout, his blindfold was removed. He found himself in a small room of what was obviously a roughly constructed cabin. Any windows? No. Could he describe the two men? No, they wore masks whenever they came in to see him. Well, then what are your clues? Well, Mr. Parks very wisely paid attention to sounds, sounds outside the cabin. Uh -huh. They let him keep his watch so he was able to keep a time pattern on what he heard. That's what's on these pieces of paper here, Paul. Oh, what are they? Well, this first one has to do with boat whistles. 
Parks says he specifically heard them at about 10.30 in the morning and 4.30 each afternoon. We'll put some near water. Yeah. He also heard music, band music. It came from a distance, fading on and then fading off. Fading on and off. Mm-hmm. Could have been on a boat. Yeah. Then there was a plane that crossed overhead at approximately 11.35. Each morning? Yeah, that's right. Any other clues? Well, one more. That's the real puzzle. The night before he was released, Parks heard a lot of trucks drive past the place where he was being held. Now, prior to that, he had never heard any traffic. Hmm. And that's all I could get from him this morning. Well, you have got a jigsaw there. Yeah. Well, I'm interviewing him again this evening. He should be rested by then. If we can learn where he was, Paul, we should get a good lead on who did the kidnapping. Who is it? It's Dusty. Oh, come in. Uh, hi, boys. Hi. How did it go last night? Fine. Where'd you drop Parks off? On the outskirts of town. What do you mean, outskirts? We were still in the country. Like where? By Blue Hills Bridge. I told you to drop him in town. What happened? Parks started to sneeze. That's what happened. Then old Jersey here dumped him out. That had nothing to do with it. Oh, no? No. We passed several police cars on the road, and I thought it was best to get rid of it. Oh, yeah? Well, then why did now, you... Hold it, I... both of you. We got business to tend to. Money business. Oh. Splendid. Uh, how much did you collect? The full amount. 25 Gs? Uh-huh. Here's five for you, Artie. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. And, John, here's your fire. Thank you. Now, you boys both know about ransom money. It's always hot. Serial numbers are in banks and stores, so I'd advise you to stash it away for a while. Well, how long? A couple of months, at least. But I ain't holding, Pete. I'm a real empty pocket. I'll advance you some cash to operate with. A very wise decision. Why? Because you couldn't resist spending the ransom. Now, look. You know your weakness for whiskey. What do you mean weakness? Now, Whiskey's wait. my strength. All right, boys, all right. Well, why don't you tell her to stop picking on me? Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Here's what I think you both should do with the money. Stash it in a bank. That's how I operate. I keep a safe deposit box in a joined-up state. You do the same. After a few more jobs, we'll all have enough to retire. Hi, Paul. Oh, hello, Jim. You interviewed Mr. Parks again? No, I checked over there. He's still sleeping, but I have made some progress. Good. What happened? Well, the first step was to get a general location of the cabin. Knowing it was near water, I checked first on Walnut Lake. And? And it seems to be the right location. Good. Remember the boat whistles that Parks heard? Uh-huh. Well, there's an excursion line on Walnut Lake. Two boats. They pass each other twice a day at 10.30 and 4.30. And that's when Parks heard the whistle. Yes. And those boats both have small bands aboard. That would account for the music fading on and fading off. Uh-huh. Well, then just for insurance, I checked with the local airlines. I found that Central has a plane that flies directly over Walnut Lake at 11.55 daily, and that's when Parks heard the plane. There's one drawback, of course, Jim. Hmm? Walnut Lake has a pretty big shoreline. Well, I think we can localize that some, too. How? Well, the excursion steamers travel along the North Shore. Now, I think we can assume the cabin is located someplace along there. Well, that's 15 miles long. Yeah, I know. Oh, uh, you got a call from the sheriff up at Lakeville. Huh? I want you to contact him right away. Oh, fine. I, uh, I gave him a list of all the clues. Asked him to help us check them. He might have some information for us, Paul. Yeah, I'm trying to remember just how thickly populated that North Shore is. Oh, there's hundreds and hundreds of cabins along there. Sheriff Hughes? Oh, uh, hello, Sheriff. This is Special Agent Taylor. 
You called me? Yes, I think I have a lead for you. Good. What is it? Well, remember all those trucks your victim heard on Tuesday night? Yes. I found out that the National Guard moved the convoy through. No, what highway did they use? It wasn't really a highway. They took Old Oak Road. Mm-hmm. That's a shortcut. Leads to 101. Well, does that pass near the lake? Just for about 100 yards. Oh, near where? A place called Elbow Point. Well, thanks, Sheriff. We'll get out there right away. <laughs> I'm in here. Oh. Pete, I wonder if I might talk with you for a few minutes. You're here, aren't you? Go ahead. It's not exactly a pleasant subject. Well, get with it, John. And don't rub your finger on my desk. There's no dust on it. Sorry. Now, what's your problem? It has to do with Artie. What about him? He's going to get us into trouble. How? Well, for one thing, I asked him to clean up the cabin when he left. He promised he would. I went up there this morning just to check, and the place was a shambles. So? If the police had ever come there, they could have gotten a dozen leads. I spent most of the day scrubbing and cleaning it up. You must have had fun. Now, Pete, this is no joking matter. I, I've got more to report on, Artie. What? You remember the advice you gave him yesterday to keep the ransom money, not spend it? Uh-huh. Well, he was in every saloon on State Street last night. Every time he bought a drink, he'd break a 20. Well, I advanced him some dough. This wasn't the money you gave him. How do you know? I have one of the bills he spent right here. I checked it with my tape. Judging by the serial number, I'd say this is definitely part of the ransom. Let me see that. Here. Where's Artie now? Still carousing, I should imagine. Go look for him. Tell him I want to see him right away. Should be coming to another cabin. Paul, uh, flash your light over there to the left, will you? Sure, Jim. Yeah, there's one. Over under the trees. Come on. There's nothing more dismal than a summer resort out of season. Yeah. Hey, listen. One of the winter residents. Yeah. Now, how many more cabins on this stretch of shore? Well, let's see. We've searched 14, huh? Um, four more to go. Looks like I found a cabin over there. Uh-huh. It's a friendly little character, isn't he? Got the keys? Yeah. There's a number on the door, Paul? Uh, 15. Let's right, see, our caretaker said 15 and 16 operate on the same key. Paul, shine your light over here, will you? Sure. Thanks. Yeah, here it is. Go ahead. Thanks. Like the others, the light switch should be right here. I got it. Well, let's take a look around, huh? Okay. One good thing about these places, Jim, only three rooms. They're easy to search. If we had... Oh, wait a minute. What? You notice anything about this place? What do you mean? Anything different from the other cabins we searched? Let's see. Look around, Jim. No empty tin cans. No old newspapers. No moldy bathing suits. Yeah, the place is practically spotless. That's right. Paul, this cabin hasn't been empty since Labor Day. Look. You're on this table. Not a speck of dust. This place has just been cleaned. Yes. Come on, let's get the kit from the car. If we give this place a thorough going over, I think we can identify the kidnappers. (laughs) 
return to tonight's exciting FBI file in just a moment. Now, another type of thrill. One that millions of Americans will enjoy tomorrow afternoon when the radio announcer of a college football game says... And little Bobby Gilbert's off again. Wow! Look at him run! Those men in blue can't catch him. And he's over! Another touchdown! It's the biggest upset of the year. Well, upsets are common on the football field. But in later life, when a college-trained man beats his competitors, it's not an upset. He's merely running true to form. Right. For instance, a college man is 15 times more likely to make $10,000 a year or over than a non-college man. Think of it. Odds are 15 to 1 in favor of a college education. That's one of many reasons why the Equitable Life Assurance Society created the famous Equitable Education Fund. It's a plan for parents who want to make certain that their children get the higher education that means so much to their future success. First and foremost, an Equitable Education Fund is sure. Right. This fund combines planned regular saving with life insurance. So if the father dies or becomes permanently disabled, this plan makes it certain that his children will still be able to get the education he was ambitious for them to have. Second advantage, an equitable education fund is easy. Yes, it's like buying your child's education on the installment plan with 12 or 16 years to pay. A comparatively small monthly payment gradually builds a sum ample to see a boy or girl through college. Remember, fathers and mothers, in the increasingly competitive years that lie ahead, the biggest prizes of life will go to college-trained men and women. Put your children in line for a more successful future by starting an equitable education fund now. Get in touch with your Equitable Society representative soon, or send a postcard care of this station to the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Now back to the FBI file, The Meticulous Mobster. In this dramatization of tonight's case from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, you see two special agents working at all hours around the clock in an attempt to apprehend the perpetrators of a vicious crime. They would also work as hard if the crime were of any other nature, if it were not the terrible thing that kidnapping is. They would work that hard because, as part of their training, they have been taught that every special agent of your FBI is a defender of democracy, and only by victory over the American army of criminals can our democracy be assured, for defeat would mean that the citizen on the streets would lose the one thing that makes him part of a free nation, respect for the law. In nations where that respect has been lost, freedom has been lost. For when the citizen loses the feeling that the law is his protection, chaos follows. Out of that chaos, one of two things happens. Either the nation collapses entirely and disappears, as nations have, or a dictator emerges with a program of promises, glittering impossible promises that enable him to take command. That is why it is important to you, the American citizen, to have not only a strong, unfettered FBI, but also a strong, politically unhampered local police force. For in them, you have the guarantee that every crime will be prosecuted, that every effort will be made to maintain that important ingredient of democracy, 
respect for the freedoms of every decent human being. Tonight's file continues early the next morning in the office of Pete Carson. Who is it? Come in. I'm glad you're still here. I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting all morning. Didn't you get word I wanted to see you? Yeah, yeah, but now What's I... What's this I hear about you spending the ransom dough? Look, Pete, look, that can wait. Don't try to change the subject. I hear you've been passing it in every saloon in town. Pete, I got something to tell you Just now. wait till I finish. You didn't clean up the cabin after you left here. If you only... You left it looking like a pigsty. The cops had found it, we'd have had real trouble. Luckily, John cleaned it up. But, Pete, that's what I come to talk to you about. Will you let me finish? But this is about John and his cleaning up the cabin. He's in the clink. Huh? John was picked up by the FBI this morning. How do you know? I got word he was looking for me. I went by his hotel to find out what he wanted. One of the bellboys told me he got nailed. What for? The park's job. What? The bellboy was on the Erie when the pinch was made. He heard the FBI guy say they knew somebody was in the cabin. How do you know that? All the other cabins were crummy looking, but our joint was too clean. How'd they nail John? Because old Jimsy rubbed all the dirt away and left his fingerprints. <laughs> Hi, Jim. I got you a message asking me to meet you out here at the cabin. Sure. I came out to the lake this morning. I checked with the storekeepers in the village. I showed them John Douglas's picture. They want to identify him? No, but I thought of another angle. There must have been a lot of trash in the cabin. When it was cleaned out, it had to be thrown someplace. Well, there's a trash pile out in back there. I just about to look it over. Come on. Okay. Oh, Paul, did you uh, re-interview John Douglas? Yeah, for over an hour. Get anything? No, just the same old double talk. Mm. He never heard of Eugene Park. Oh, and he's got a new explanation for his fingerprints being all over the cabin. Oh, what's that? We put them there. We're framing them. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> Here's the trash dump. Mm-hmm. Now, that pile of dry papers there should be a good place to start. Looks like the only stuff that's been dumped here since it rained. Yeah. Oh, uh... By the way, Paul, I talked to Mr. Parks again. He's thinking a lot more clearly. He believes there were three men on the job. Yeah, why is that? Well, he overheard two of them talking. They addressed each other as John and Artie. Hey, here's a deck of the dirtiest playing cards I ever saw. Might be able to get some prints out of them. What about the third man, Jim? Uh, these men who were talking referred to someone else. Someone named Pete. Any last name? No. What's that you have there? Well, paper bag, bread wrapping. Well, according to Parks, they talked as if this Pete was the boss of the outfit. They said he... Hey, wait a minute. What? Here. Take a look at this. It's a charge slip from a gas station. Let's see. Yeah. Signature on the bottom is pretty well blurred. First name looks like... Pete. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Paul, this could be a valuable find. We better check this with this gas station. Hello. This is Artie. Did you find out anything? Yeah. I checked with the guy down at the jail. Everything's going okay. John hasn't talked? Not a peep. Well, that gives us time then. To get out of town. But if he ain't talking... Up to now, he hasn't. Later, it could be different. Well, where are we going? 
I don't know. I haven't consulted the travel folders. Travel folders? Look, just get over here. We're pulling out tonight. Hey, Jim, how'd you make out? Well, I checked at the gas station. I showed them the charge slip. They sent me down to the company's office. Get anything there? Yes, the account number showed it was signed by a man named Pete Carson. He lives at 723 Post Street. I went through the files. I dug out his record and picture. Did you go to his home? No. Why not? Well, I talked to the SAC. He doesn't think this gas station slip is strong enough evidence. Oh, I suppose not. If we'd found it in the cabin, I... Hey, wait a minute, Paul. Huh? I'm going back to that company office. What for? I just thought of something. I'll call you back if I get it. Special Agent Madison speaking. Hello, boss. Jim. Oh, where are you? Up in Baldwin Junction. What are you doing up there? Well, I found out at the company's office that Pete Carson's charge account showed he charged some gas and oil up here. Oh? I've just finished talking to the gas station attendant. He remembers Pete Carson. Carson gave him a dollar tip. Does he know what he was doing up there? No, but he told me that Carson pulled into the station, gave him the keys to the car, and told him to fill it up while he took care of some business. Well, that's not much help, Jim. I'm not so sure, Paul. The attendant said that Carson had a package with him when he drove in. Well, he took the package with him, and he didn't have it when he came back. How long was he gone? Not more than ten minutes. So I'm going to explore this main street over a radius that could be covered in five minutes. I'll check back with you later. What will we do with this box, Pete? What's in it? Oh, all the papers from your file. We burn it. <laughs> you know, I I was just thinking. Thinking what? <laughs> Old Jermsey must be blowing his marbles in that jailhouse. <laughs> no clean bed, no clean place. That's why he won't be able to take it much longer. <laughs> uh, what'd you do with that big keister? Oh, I, I put it in the back room. Well, I'll go load it up. Look, uh, why don't you go home and pack? The train leaves in an hour, you know. Well, okay. You can meet me back here. Right. Excuse me. Huh? Huh? Is Pete Carson in? Yeah, but he's busy, mister. I'm a special agent of the FBI. Here are my credentials. Well, what do you want? I believe you're Artie Bishop. Yeah, why? I'm looking for you, too. I have a warrant here for your arrest. What for? The money you spent last night in several bars was turned into us. It was part of the ransom paid for the release of a man named Eugene Park. Listen, the guy loaned me that dough. Bishop, I've just come from your room. I had a search warrant. I found a lot more of the ransom money there. Now, just a minute. Let me... What's the matter, Artie? Who is this guy? It's a pinch. I'm a special agent of the FBI, Carson. What? I've got a warrant here for your arrest, too. Now, come along, both of you. Pete Carson, John Douglas, and Artie Bishop were placed on trial in a federal court and were given 25-year sentences for kidnapping. Special Agent Taylor found the evidence at Baldwin Junction that linked Pete Carson to the Johnson kidnapping, evidence in the form of $15,000 worth of the ransom money. In making his survey of the main street of the town, 
Special Agent Taylor took the trouble to show Carson's picture to each person he interviewed. And when he reached the Baldwin Junction National Bank, his troubles were rewarded. The clerk at the safe deposit box section recognized Carson's picture. And from that point on, the case came to a rapid conclusion. A rapid but wholly satisfactory conclusion, since, as you have seen, all three members of the ring were arrested and convicted. And so another case from the files of your FBI was solved. Solved because two special agents refused to become discouraged at the apparent lack of clues. Refused to stop working through the day and night so that the Federal Bureau of Investigation could keep its record of the last three years clean. A record which shows that not a single kidnapping case has gone unsolved. just a moment, we will tell you about next week's exciting case from the files of your FBI. But first, let's hear briefly from an Equitable Society representative on the subject of an Equitable Education Fund. An Equitable Education Fund is the painless way to pay for a college education. You spread the payments over 14 or 17 years, instead of taking a beating in four. The man whose words you have just heard speaks for 6,000 Equitable Society representatives from coast to coast. We're always ready to give you friendly help and counsel. If you do not know the name of the equitable man in your community, send a postcard care of this station to the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Next week, we will dramatize another case from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. A case presenting factual evidence that the female of the criminal species is as deadly as the male. Its subject, jailbreak. Its title, The Friendly Stowaway. The incidents used in tonight's Equitable Life Assurance Society's broadcast are adapted from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious, and any similarity thereof to the names of persons living or dead is accidental. Tonight, the music was composed and conducted by Frederick Steiner. The author was Jerry D. Lewis. Your narrator was William Woodson, and Special Agent Taylor was played by Stacey Harris. Others in the cast were Parley Bear, Ed Begley, Tony Hughes, Wally Mayer, and Carlton Young. This is Your FBI is a Jerry Devine production. This is Larry Keating speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community and inviting you to tune in again next week at this same time when the Equitable Life Assurance Society will bring you another thrilling story from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The friendly story on This is Your FBI. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. That's it for this episode of Case Closed. You can find more from Dragnet, This Is Your FBI, and thousands of other old-time radio episodes at RelicRadio.com. Be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. Thank you.